like you say no regrets. I already have so many regrets and I'm going to have a million more when I'm a hundred. I am for sure. But that doesn't mean I'm going to beat myself up. Like that's literally life where you're like, ah, I should have done that. Ah, but I didn't. There's no room to do everything that you want to do. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Danny Priori, and today I have a very special guest. His name is Scott St. Marie. He is a mindfulness practitioner, coach, and mentor, and he's the founder of Depression to Expression and the host of his own podcast, Being Human. Uh, Scott, first of all, awesome name, and thank you for taking the time to be on the show with us today. Thanks a lot for having me. How's life going where you're at? In Toronto, in Canada, we just got... I don't know. The weather is as you think it might be in in January. So we got some cold coming in. COVID's still a thing here, but I don't know. We're we're doing the best we can. We really are. Where whereabouts are you based? I'm in the New York City area. So I'm in Jersey City, which is like right across the water from New York City. Yes, right on. Yeah, yeah. I've been see the Statue of Liberty from my terrace. So it's like uh, I feel very I feel very New Yorkish. Have you ever lived in Manhattan? Like, is that a dream? Yes. Do you want to live in the city? No, I, I lived there for like seven years. And then they, they wanted uh, $5,000 for 600 square foot closet. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not falling for that. I'm not doing it. But um, I love living in New York. But since I've moved to Jersey City, my life has slowed down like insanely in terms of... Uh, having to think fast, having the, you know, the surroundings are all, everyone's going a hundred miles an hour around you. So that, that for my mental health, it's been a really nice reset for me actually moving to. Nice. Well, that's the thing. Like you're, you're the people you hang around, you know, it's like you feed off other people's energy, especially with anxiety. It, it's anxiety is a hypersensitivity to certain things, social anxiety, whether health anxiety, whatever label you want to put on it. And if in New York City, if you're somewhat empathetic to the human condition and can feed off of that and, and really sense other people's energy and the, the speed at which they move, people in New York, some of them might just be like this all day, just go, go, go until their head hits the yeah. pillow. I don't know if you felt like that or if you, if you kind of got accustomed to it after a while, you know, and, and settled in and found some ground. You do settle in in a way but like this is what like uh, living in new york is like you love it so much you hate it mm. and it's like you kind of earn your stripes to say you hate it <laughs> you know it's like uh it's the most beautiful city in the world yeah but i hate its guts at the same time mm. you know and once i realized like oh this is just how things happen here and this is just how people are here it was something that I realized I, I could either go with the flow or just get like left behind and like eaten alive. 
Yeah. Was there FOMO when you were in New York or did you feel like you were at the center of the universe? Because when I visited there, I feel like, you know what? Everything's happening here. Yeah. Everything is here. Yeah. No, for, for, for me, I definitely, I never really had FOMO because it was anything I needed. Like I could get a newborn baby on DoorDash and like <laughs> at like four o'clock in the morning, you know? So yeah. like, that's like the, the amazing thing about New York. Right. Um, I thought I would have more FOMO now that I left, but honestly, no, I, th- I just think it's like uh, cause of my age, like where I'm at in my life. It's more of like, uh, you know, I'm settling into like family man status. So it's like, uh, it's something for me that I don't need the hustle and bustle of, of the city. Cause the thing that one, it causes financial stress. Huge. Yeah. You know? And then also it just causes uh mental stress because everything is on a clock. Everything is, is timed in New York. Mm. Their public transportation, Uber, dinner reservations, meetings, you know, it, everything yeah. is so, like uh such like slaves to the clock in new york mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just not that type of person i don't flourish in those environments it's never been something uh that i've been you know well versed at but for me like this is like a complete total reset and like when i think of like in in your sense when i think of toronto i only think of like the pin needle and like the big city but toronto is like so much bigger than people actually think it is Oh, it's huge. It's huge. huge. Toronto is a clean, is a clean New York city. To, to me, when, oh, I, when I was there, I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, this is like, if New York city cared about like not smelling like garbage, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was like. For me. Yeah, that's fair. New York is so compact. You got to fit that baby on an Island, but Toronto, like you have, that's the biggest difference. You have these wide streets in Toronto and you don't have a lot of height. Like you have a lot of height with uh, buildings downtown and condos along the water. But once you hit like even midtown and then the pockets and neighborhoods, you know, you're not going over six stories. So Toronto's huge and spread out, but it doesn't feel like a city city when you get out of the core. But it, it has, just has so much to offer too. It really does. It really does. You guys have good air up there, even though it's freezing. Fantastic air. You come up here and you just take a breath. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That was one of the first things I noticed uh when I was there. I said, Oh my God, like I can actually breathe here. This is yeah. like, this is amazing <laughs> what we do in America when it comes to like mental health and just health in general. I think people have uh, you know, a relatively like kind of good idea of like how Canada has universal health care, but it's not always like that, right? No, not at all. So, no. you know, I think everybody kind of has this misconception uh, that everybody has access to all things the same. Like, uh, they almost feel like uh, like Toronto's healthcare is like uh, communist. For healthcare, I wish it was. But no, if you are broke, and even if you have health insurance from your company, let's say you want to go to therapy or something. It's like, okay, a psychologist in Toronto is like 200, 250 bucks an hour. Uh, your average great health insurance actually from a great company will give you 600 bucks a year. All right. There's your four sessions. Yeah. You barely even talked about your issues with mom and dad by session four. You're still shooting the shit, trying to get to know each other. 
And, you know, and, and same as for physiotherapy or seeing a chiropractor, massage therapist, you get 600 bucks a year. And then it's all out of pocket anyways. So Canada is great if you need to go to the hospital, but then you still need to pay for the ambulance, by the way, that's not covered. So you still get a bill for the ambulance picking you up. And then, yeah, you get, you get some x-rays at the hospital, but it's not like preventative free medicine. The great thing is if I need some type of medication, if I got a rash, if I got, uh, you know, I'm feeling this and this, I can call up my family doctor and there's no charge for the call, but then I still need to pay for my prescriptions and stuff like that. So there's costs everywhere in life. Nothing is free. And if it's free, there's something behind it. The free healthcare is such a misconception. Especially with social media, like mental health stigma, you know, has decreased for sure. I think a lot more people are, are open to the idea of talking about it. Especially, you know, like with the stuff that we do, which is pretty much, you know, what our main objective is on this show is to get rid of the stigmas of mental health. But mm-hmm. have you seen up there just even in terms of like public care that those steps have kind of been made in the right direction? Or is it still something that's kind of straggling behind? Because it's, it's, it is still like that here, like even though the stigma is kind of gone. Yeah. Access to all of these things has still become like, you know, it's not. It's not at the forefront the way we want it to be. Yeah, like there's so many different pockets to that. You think about where money should go. Should it go more to research? Should it go more to pharmacology? Should it go more to school and education? Should it go more to therapists? Okay, you want to be a psychiatrist? Well, you got to be in school for like 10 years and get 90s in medical school to become that. Well, Canada to be a doctor is so competitive So we're like, we're running short of doctors. We need more psychiatrists and we need more even psychologists and PhDs. Okay, Timmy is so psyched about helping people and will study so hard, but he only got an 87. Mm. You're not accepted. So like, who are we really blaming here? The cost of getting into these places too and living with $250,000 of student debt after medical school. So A, it's hard to be a helper. If you want to be a master and get a master's of social work or master's of education to become a psychotherapist, that's a different story, but you're still not dealing with severe mental illness where there needs to be medication involved, which is a big part of it. As far as strides here in Canada, we're always doing the awareness campaigns. We're always trying to come up with the best slogan to reach all the people in that one aha moment to say it's fixed and we can now talk about it. But I think these things need to start in smaller communities, like at your office, in your home, at your school. So in Canada, there's like the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, big, big organization and hospital. And they came out with a campaign saying, you know, mental health is health. And they put it in, you know, Dundas Square, which is Toronto's mini Times Square. Mm -hmm. And spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars doing bus campaigns, ad campaigns, uh, billboard campaigns, social media campaigns to get out this message that mental health is health. And I think about it and I'm like, okay, to say mental health is health, we love metaphors in mental health and we love metaphors as human beings because how the hell can you describe a feeling without using metaphors? Yes. Like you, how, how do you even do that? So they're like, okay, if you break a leg and uh, you go to the doctor, you have no shame in breaking a leg. And if you're dealing with depression, it should be the same thing. We should see it the same way. Yes, but no. 
the treatment for a leg, I can go to India, I can go to Germany, I can go to, you know, New York or Toronto. Yes. Then they know how it's done. Six to eight weeks, boom. You go in with an anxiety disorder. If you go see a psychologist, you're doing it that way. You're going to talk about childhood and CBT. You go to a psychotherapist, you're going to try different strategies. You go to a naturopathic doctor, it's because you have a magnesium deficiency and you have um, some extra fungus in your gut that needs to be taken care of. You go to a psychiatrist, it's because you're depleted in serotonin and you need to take medication. Depending on who you see, you're dealing with a different problem. Yeah, it's a lot of freestyling. It's so, and that's that's so true, man. And you think of someone in such a vulnerable state and so confused about where they are and what's happening to them. And we try to say that that is the same as a broken leg. That is so much more complicated than something just purely physical. For sure. We need to give it even more attention. And I still think we've come a long way, but I don't even have an answer to that, by the way. I feel like I know what the problem is and we're doing great things, but I think it needs to just go a step further and tell people this is super complex stuff. It really is. I think you make a great point, especially with that. I think in terms of like how we address things, the word health can be very vague sometimes, you know, and it's like, uh, I would love to just like go in and get an x-ray on my brain and, you know, it's you know, you walk in, you walk out and you're like, oh, yeah, you got this. You got a little bit here. And I hope that it does get to a point where they can do that. You know, people deal with misdiagnosis. People deal with especially when I first started taking antidepressants. Right. So I take Lexapro. Uh, and when they started reading me like um, the side effects, when it got to uh, the side effects or suicidal thoughts, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Right. How does that make sense? And I remember like my doctor started laughing and it was like, you know, it's when you hear the list of side effects when it comes to medication, I think it scares a lot of people to the benefits of medication. And, you know, even on here, I, I'm always saying, you know, different strokes are different folks. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm just someone with a story and a journey and I'm willing to share that journey and what works for me. When I first started Lexapro, I was like, you know, I was afraid like, oh man, like this is like going to make me like want to kill myself or like, this is going to make me like not be able to get a boner. Like, you know, like, you know, like this is right. Like, right. Right. About, you know, because my doctor came in and was like, listen, like you might not be able to like get a boner. And I was like, that's depressing. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. You know, I got to tell you this. I was like, okay. So I like, you know, I had to do the whole thing. And then once I got settled into like a routine, uh, uh, like my routine medications, I can't explain how much it's just benefited to my everyday life. Wow. You know, and that's, and like I said, like disclaimer, that's just my story. Lexapro saved my life. Hmm. Lexapro saved my life. Benzodiazepine saved my life. You know, I can't say that it hasn't. And with everything that I've been through, I don't know where I would be without my medications. Because anytime you tell people like certain things about like medication and this and, and, you know, you get a lot of pushback like, oh, you don't need that. Like, you know, like uh, like smell lavender. I'm like, dude, I tried. All these <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. 
Yeah. And then, you know, I have uh, my bipolar medication too. And it's just like, I can't smell lavender and like not be manic. Like that's not going to work for me. It might make you really love the smell of the lavender and like try to create a company around lavender in my mania and in my, uh, in my impulsiveness. Right. Medication for me has been great, but then it runs back to the same thing of just like being able to get it, being able to get it is very, very difficult. It's not something that's very, very easy to do. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on medication? If you go on Google or Reddit or something, people are more likely to share a negative experience than positive on social media, yeah. uh, which is where that poison can come, uh, come into your mind. So, you know, if people go and do that research, they get really scared because all these side effects and, oh, this medication ruined my life. And I don't think there's enough positive testimony like yours. Yeah. Which... Which is like, listen, uh, I take it and you'd be amazed at the people I've spoken to that didn't get any of those side effects too. I didn't get any of them. There you go. Because yeah, they have to list all the side effects if it's like one in a million people reported it. They have to put it on the list. Yeah. Like any medication, blood thinners, ibuprofen, they have to put this stuff. So uh, like I remember when I was I was talking about medication years ago and I'm just like, guys, like don't obsess and maybe don't even read the side effects because it can be this self-fulfilling prophecy where, uh oh, no, my mouth is a little dry. Oh, was that on the list? Oh my gosh. Oh, my hand just twitched. What was that? It's like, was that on the, oh my God. So it can, it can add a bit to the fear. I honestly, man, I'm all for people doing whatever they need to do to feel better. And who the hell am I to judge someone for taking medication for drinking a liter of urine every day if that if that helps you man you piss in that bottle every day go for it i say the same thing for people like i have buddies just like dude like i smoke dmt like i go and like do rituals and shit and i'm like yo if that works for you like yeah smoke up bro like you know what i like i like i have people that are like i just smoke weed i'm like all right smoke smoke it up my thing is excess is always the issue maker i feel like right the excess so like when i first started taking the the benzo uh that i take i take clonopin uh 0.5 milligrams as needed i'm very transparent about what i take so when i first started taking it like a friend of mine sent me this article on stevie nicks and stevie nicks was uh talking about how clonopin was like uh the worst drug she ever had to come off of uh to do it and this is why like i shouldn't take it I was like, you guys know that she's talking about abusing Klonopin. Right, right. You know, like you guys are, are you guys are taking the wrong aspect of that. I take my medications as needed and as prescribed. Yeah, yeah. When it's when you go to excess, you start to hear these horror stories. Mm. And, you know, when I first started taking uh, Klonopin, I was at three milligrams a day for severe panic disorder. And I've weaned down to 0.5. And I remember going to my doctor and being like, oh, I want to get off it. I, I, you know, everyone's telling me like this. And he was like, Danny, listen, man, I don't want to say anything about like family and like your friends and stuff. But he was like, how many of them have doctorates? And I was <laughs> like, none of them. And he's like, okay, all right. So let's start there. He goes, when you take the medication, does it help you? And I said, yeah. He goes, then what are you worried about? Hmm then what are you worried about? Mm -hmm. You know, it's listen, 
I understand that people have a hard time getting off particular medications and, and drugs. And that's something, you know, we've had everybody on this show. But when it comes to a lot of the stories, it's because of excess use. Mm. You know, and it's, you start to hear these horror stories. Like you said, everyone just wants to talk about like the negative side of stuff. I'm chilling. Right. And th- that's so, that's such human nature too. I've always been like fairly light on social media. Yeah. But I have my, I have my streaks, man, where someone sends me an Instagram reel and it's hilarious. And then, oh my, there's some gold out there. Oh yeah. Uh, including your comedy. I've watched some before we started chatting. I think with, with mental health, especially everyone else needs to shut the fuck up as far as like, oh, I got to go see what Joe Rogan thinks about benzos. Yeah. I got to Google what Jordan Peterson thinks about anxiety. Fuck everyone. To anyone listening, fuck everyone and do what's best for you. Joko, that Navy SEAL doesn't know shit about your life. So don't listen to his advice about this shit. That neuroscientist uh, or, or Lex Friedman or other big podcast guys, uh, Huberman, the, yeah. the neuroscientist, like for the most part, take what you need from these guys. But I was one that went and did a deep dive and, oh, I got to know everything. They don't know your life. They haven't lived a day of your life. And people are taking advice from people that they give general advice about health. Doctors have their own podcasts. And then they try to apply it and stick it to their life and fill in the gaps. And that's where we run into trouble where, oh, that doctor on YouTube or, oh, that neuroscientist said that benzos aren't good. So I'm going to listen to them. They haven't lived a day. They haven't been in your shoes. So mute the outside world for a bit. And like to your point with the guys that smoke DMT or smoke weed, as long as these things make you a little more true to yourself and and help you feel more like you and help you tune in to your authentic self and abilities, I'm all for it. If they're smoking weed because they're running from something or the moment isn't good enough for them, so they're always looking to heighten their experience and they can't just sit with themselves, that's a different story of maybe what they need to jump into. But I think with social media, man, it's such a trap with with health and all these people giving general advice it's just base knowledge nonsense like someone like a gary like a gary uh vaynerchuk right right <laughs> well put out some content put out more content listen like i don't knock anybody's hustle get paid how you want to get paid but my thing is like when it comes to a certain degree if you're like already like kind of successful like anything he says like isn't going to help you <laughs> right you know what i mean it's like yo like do this like do that And I'm like, all right, but I've already done this and done that. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't have a fucking doctorate anywhere. Yeah. And neither do I. So I'm not going to be someone that's going to be like, this is like what you got to do. It's different for everybody. Everybody's so different. I think if more people understood about and embraced individuality when it comes to living your day-to-day life, a lot more people would have a lot more success whether it be in their health, whether it would be their mental health, whether it be in business, all of these things, because everybody's so fucking different. Like we have certain things in life that we have in common, but that's about it. That's about it. Everything about us is completely different. 
I try to get that point across when I talk to people like what works for me is just not going to work for you. Probably not though. Right. It may, right. but it may not. So you have to just be careful what you consume auditorily food wise. Yeah. It's, it's everything. Totally. It's everything. And yeah. I love to talk to people like you because sometimes I have a hard time expressing or articulating certain things that I'm feeling. I was looking at, you know, uh, we do deep dives too when we have people on the show. I want to commend you for the way that you articulate depression and anxiety. When you were a kid, were you as good as articulating your messages now? Like, what was it like for you as a kid? Like, did you struggle with depression as a kid, more anxiety? And when those things came up, were you vocal about them or was it something that you kind of, you know, like we were talking about, kind of went with the norms and tried to like kind of blend in and, you know, it's, mm. I don't want to, you know, cause as men though, too, it's like, if you're depressed as a man, when you're a kid, you're a pussy. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good question and a really good topic too, about uh, men and dealing with sensitivity. That was mainly the biggest thing for me was I don't want my friends to think I'm a bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know like that's what my that's what my life surrounded around i was like yo if i cry in this locker room everyone's gonna call me a bitch yeah but like my mom is sick you know like my dad just had a heart attack you know like i, I remember my father had a heart attack and i was in the locker room and i was like yo but don't cry in front of them wow yeah yeah i was just mainly off of ego and just like as a man i can't be seen as weak right because what would happen if you showed uh, a sense of authentic feeling and experience you you'd lose the tribe or it's a threat to lose your group and also to lose my place exactly oh it's so. like if i have the hierarchy and i work to get up here and it can be gone in a second i still want people to think like they can't fuck with me Exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's that constant battle between, you know, do, do I be authentic in a given situation or do I, uh, hone my experiences to fit in the group and my attachments? So, you know, and that happens, you know, high school and elementary school where we, we form bonds with friends and we move a little bit away from our mom and dad, and that becomes our social group. And that's how we develop our social skills and intuition and how to play and live. And me as a child, I was definitely anxious and I didn't know what it was. And of course I didn't articulate because I didn't necessarily have to. Uh, when it got into high school, I thought it was just, you know, sometimes I would have a stomach ache and I'd be really nervous before going to parties. And then I would drink and smoke to kind of settle back into the, oh, okay, everything's good. So there would be that, but I had no idea that mental and health were two words that went together. Like I didn't know that was a thing, right? I really didn't really know what mental health was until like 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 Well, pretty much in 2008, I saw, I went to like a first therapy session at university and I was like, oh, well, here we go. This is a thing. But as far as articulating, no, there, there was never a need. I didn't know how to, but I wasn't suffering at all to a degree. So there wasn't, there wasn't a necessity for change or for openness or vulnerability in that way. So we just chugged along and there was, there was no depression at all, but the anxiety experienced. And even to this day, it's more of a, an existential 
anxiety. Oh, elaborate. I like this. The, the existentialism is, I'd like to think of it as somewhat of a spiritual experience where you can lose the ground so easily by thinking, oh my God, consciousness is very, very real. And what is this life? What am I doing here? I can't believe I'm a human being. You know, these things that are pretty trippy that people get, you know, on drugs. And I'm like, no, I'm sober right now. And I'm tripping out looking at a tree and the life around me and the relationships I have and making contact with a cashier at Shoppers Drug Mart. And we, you know, these are the things that I'm like, wow, it's incredible. It's, it's so like, even as a kid, were you like that though? You know what? I was a sensitive child and being sensitive again is a type of anxiousness because you're hyper aware. So yeah, like, you know, when I was skipping rocks, I would leave my family sometimes and just go to the lake and I'd just be like, wow, yeah, the sky, wow, the stars. I can't believe it. The stars. I know. Right. I have moments like that too. So though, sometimes like the other day I was watching TV and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? And people just like go like, uh, like, like you said, it's existentialism and mental health are so like hand in hand. Now that I think about it, it's kind of scary. Well, you know, I was listening to Gabor Mate and, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, and he's like, the people who deal with anxiety today and are highly sensitive, they were like the shamans back then. They were the people that would help solidify and ground the tribe around us and, and be very sensitive to people's needs and what they wanted when they couldn't express them. Because we can feel these things and the energy around us, not to get too fairy dust, but you know what I mean by energy, just how people are doing. Oh, I'm a big, listen, you don't have to, yeah, I'm a big okay. person. You know that feeling and that, that sense you can get from others. And now today, what do we do with a sensitive person and child? We're like, well, you gotta, you gotta get out there and fit in the same way everybody else is and to conform. And there is sometimes we feel like there's not necessarily a place for us or a routine for us. And we really need to create that ourselves. You can't just jump into New York City like everybody else. You got to create a structure, a bit more of a routine, maybe a little free flow in there. You need to express your creativity in different ways, right? That's the hardest thing is like, you know, the population and having these, you know, public schools, it's almost impossible to like have free form education, you know? But like, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm anxious about now as an adult that I wish I was, I'd probably be less anxious about if I learned about them in school. Like, you know, um, paying taxes, mm. the importance of uh, getting your teeth uh, taken care of at a young age, or like the importance of more uh, education on food. Right. How to write a fucking check. <laughs> How to fill out a W-9. Like these are like things right. like, these are like things that cause me like everyday anxiety. And it's like to a point where, damn, like I feel like I should have learned this in school instead of like being forced, like take French for a year, you know, it's all cool. Like, you know, like that stuff is really cool, but like I need to learn real life things. Mm -hmm. And I think that would help a lot of, you know, people that deal with generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. most of generalized anxieties just brought on normality of life that's just like kind of what it is mm-hmm. yeah you, you, there's a 
generalized anxiety is the sense that something's coming close, but never quite there. You know, yeah, something's impending doom. Yeah, something's coming, and you, you you don't know from which way, and you don't know where to turn. You don't know where it's going to come from, so you're on high alert. All and the time. <laughs> right. And it's not, it's not even visible. So it's this invisible thing too. So you can't even use your senses to a degree to at least pinpoint it, you know, get the monster under your bed. Cause Oh, that's yeah. where monsters are. It's under the bed. I just got a peek. And then like, and even to, you know, like w- exactly what you said though, too, it's like um, being highly sensitive as a kid. Like when kids like get afraid, like kids are supposed to be afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, like kids are supposed to have like generalized anxiety because they don't know, like, you know, they haven't been here that long, <laughs> you know? And it's like, but a lot of the times are, you know, we teach kids though also to like be scared of things hmm. because it's like, oh, if you do this, this will happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like, even when I was a kid, like I, I, we grew up religious, you know what I mean? Not like, you know you know, crazy religious, but we went to church on Sunday every, every, every week. And most of the stuff you learn in church is if you do this, you're going to burn in hell. And I love Jesus and I love God, you know, but I, I, as I got older, I was like, I don't really think Jesus would do that. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Like if we're talking about the same Jesus right now, the Jesus that you're like spitting game to me about right now, I don't think that this would land me in hell you know what i mean yeah yeah that's why it's like a lot of our childhoods are based on fear tactics Mm. you know and if we have you know a lot of external influence especially it's like it takes a village and if that village is kind of like super anxious that kid's gonna be super anxious right so it's almost like if you're naturally anxious odds are your kid's going to be a little anxious if you show that kind of that anxious uh, bloodline. But like, even like to what you said about like shaman and stuff, like it's dope to think about like those people were the illest people in the tribe, like to, in terms of like, Mm -hmm. you know, you went to them for like wisdom and shit because they just see things so much differently. I think a lot of people now are coming forward about being anxious. And I spoke to a a former principal uh, Mm -hmm. of mine like recently and he was like this like everyone has anxiety now oh, yeah. and i was just like well i think everyone's coming forward about having anxiety everybody has anxiety we have animalistic instincts you don't think fucking deer are anxious all day they're not actually they're only anxious when they they have to be they actually have like you know predators you know we're the apex <laughs> so if you really think about it it's like our anxiety a lot of our stuff is like self-manifested from external influence but then it becomes internal now it's like my brain has been rewired to like kind of feel this way and like i don't like to blame everything like on my parents and stuff you know i feel like that's always like kind of like a cheap way out sometimes but like i grew up watching like my mom be super like hypochondriac and like super anxious and i definitely inherited some of these things you know like uh, that's like kind of what it was like for me in your situation, though, in 2008, you go to see your therapist. Were you like uh, on the fence about it? What made you go? You know, and what made you uh, be like, 
yo, I'm going to go to this therapist and I'm going to talk to this therapist and I'm going to actually go through with it. Because the first time I ever went to a therapist, I was like, nah, I don't want to say shit. Mm. I, I've always been the person. Yeah, oh, my gosh. If I'm paying money to see someone and they're an expert, I'm, I'm using them. So I'm like, I'm going to tell you everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you everything. You kidding me? You know, there's different points in people's lives and your life and mine where life hits you. Like reality just closes in on you and it's like, boom. You didn't even warn me. You just punched me in the balls so hard. Yeah, and multiple times. Always in the balls too. At least give me a yeah. shoulder shot. Always in the nuts. And uh, so it hit me that, you know, I, I broke my leg. I had a pretty severe injury. I was on crutches. I couldn't exercise, play sports. I was at a town I didn't know. I was paying $40,000 for a degree. I didn't really know if I wanted to do meeting all these new people. That's exactly what I was saying. This fucking added societal stress that we do to ourselves. Right. It was all new and fresh, right? And all this changed. And then life hit me. I'm just like, wow, this is all happened. And I just didn't know how, how to deal with it. And I, I wasn't eating and I was so anxious and I didn't necessarily know why. And what is going on with my brain right now? Why is everything old, so in uh, 19. 19. Yeah, weird time. Very weird time. High school to 30 is the weirdest time, but high school and university for sure. Like, let's throw you into a room that looks like a jail. And while you're going through puberty and have to learn all this shit and, and then start liking women and don't know what to do. And then you have homework on top of that. And you have to find your own social tribe. What is going on? People always say like, oh, like 13, you start getting like horny and stuff. Dude, from 18 to 30, you're otherworldly horny. It's outrageous. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's not even a game. Like, you know, that's a lot to like unpack and try to like be normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. like, dude, it's like, I'm like a little too horny like in, in my life you know what i'm saying i was like yeah like I, I didn't think like hormones and puberty were like gonna go this hard no they went hard my theory is that tna pants when they came out uh was responsible for male depression because we had to suppress so much feeling when we see this stuff for years we couldn't do anything man we're seeing naked women when we're 20 we're like what do i do about this oh my I went to Montreal when I was 18 years old and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, this is outrageous. People, grown up people just do this. Right, right. So I was like, what the fuck? And then my friends were like, yeah, like told you it's lit. I was like, yeah, but this is real. Is this real? Yeah, is this real? First time I ever went to a strip club, I was like, there's no way these titties are just like out here right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very common, maybe anxious thought. It's like, really? Is this happening right now? Is this real? Is this experience part of the whole experience? It's a whole trip. And I think we need to make space for that. We do. And it's like, you know, you, you go to therapy, you're 19 years old. Like, did you have like an end game in mind? Or you were just like, I just got to talk to somebody about this that's like not related to me. Yeah, pretty much. It's just one step at a time back then. And it seems like it was a, a different Scott at the time. But one thing I didn't give myself until the, the recent, like since 2020, which I didn't know was possible, I've never given myself compassion and kindness. I've oh, wow. never given myself a break. Did you give other people that? 
Of course I did. I was the best friend to others, right? But to myself, it's like, I need to work so hard. I've been working since I was six years old, paper route, starting my own lawn cutting company with my brothers and then working at retail and factories. Like it was nonstop. And I never gave myself a break. So even when I was dealing with depression, it was still like, I, pussy. Yeah. Can't believe you're dealing. What's so, what are you so, what are you so sad about, man? Go out there. You got a good life. It's sunny. So that, that internal dialogue was so programmed that it takes some time to add and exercise a compassionate and non-judgmental muscle in our minds to say, Hey, like you did okay today, man. Like, Hey, like that was enough. That was enough. You live today. The old Seneca quote, like just to live is a courageous act, right? Just to live, just to be part of this whole thing. But a child on social media who's now anxious is feeling such lack in their life. And I think they're getting the existential feeling of, oh my God, am I where I'm supposed to be right now? Because I see everybody else somewhere else. And if you feel like you're not where you should be, you're constantly being pushed and pulled and stretched. And what's anxiety other than being stretched and feeling something else over here that's so far away from you and feeling something else over there? And a child who's on their phone so much these days and the anxiety and the pressure is so outside their body. They're not even here anymore. They're so stretched. It is like a transportation because you, you shut off. It's almost like you're asleep. Yeah. Oh my God. The world's asleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I want to get into like, you were about to go into it. I think depression to expression. So like, tell me a little bit about that and like what you do, like exactly in terms of, you know, do you kind of present it in a way that is anti-social media almost like to a point because like we kind of all social media like promoter and shit but like you know it's it's like someone that goes on instagram and they're like yeah like social media is the devil but it's like <laughs> it's posted on social media you know yeah. what i mean so it's like i want you i want to get this off on social media but i want you to like see so yeah. like for you how much of social media kind of like goes into what you're doing with uh depression to expression and like what are some of you know the main building blocks uh, of how you ended up starting? Yeah, yeah. Oh, if it, I'm, I love social media. I'm all for it. If, if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be a public speaker. I wouldn't have traveled and given awesome talks and met amazing people around the world. It's like the best tool ever. And people don't even use it that much compared to porn. So when we look at the internet, it's all porn, baby. That's what we're doing. That's a whole other talk. So... You know, I got started in, in 2013. I just uploaded my first YouTube video about my experiences with anxiety and depression and just wanted to get something out there. You know, in 2008, when I looked on YouTube for men going through depression, there was nothing. No, no, no. Like, no man had a feeling in 2008. No, no man had a feeling. You weren't allowed. You weren't allowed. No. If you were a man, you were either playing sports or on to catch a predator. That was about it. <laughs> In terms of like, you know, male influences in our lives. That's it. <laughs> That's all we had for men on TV. I know. Friggin' hot dog eating contests on TV. Great. Yeah, that, that was Those it. are my heroes. Oh, for sure. This guy's swallowing dogs 30 a minute. Great. So <laughs> male role models. That's when you yeah. see people looking up to 
a Donald Trump or a Joe Rogan or any kind of male influencer. I'm like, it's no wonder they grabbed onto these people who we've we been looking up to as a male figure on TV for so long. Yeah. And then like, I have like the, the feelings like that too. Like, like I'll watch like UFC or like football. And then like, I'll have those moments where I'm like, why am I watching this shit? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's you know, so true. And it's like, it's, it's so crazy. And yeah. like for you, so 2013, you upload a video where you like, I'm going to like write a script for it. Or you're like, I'm just going to go for it. No, I just went for it. And the first video I ever did was called why depression is the worst illness in the entire world. Cause it's really the only illness where you take your own Such life. Such a great title. Yeah. It's the only one, you know, and if you have cancer, that's terrible, but you wouldn't kill yourself unless you had depression with that and you become right. so hopeless, right? There's no other illness where people take their own life. It is the worst illness in the world. That was my first video and I just kept making them, just my own experiences and uh, 10,000 subscribers led to 100,000, led to 300,000. And then in 2020, I'm just like, I don't, don't want to do this anymore. You know, I was just like, I don't know. And I got so into social media and Instagram and posting all the time and sharing so much of my life, like every private part where I had nothing left for myself. I'm like, what am I keeping close to the chest? You know, you talk about your, your family life and kind of slowing things down. Part of that for me is keeping a lot more to myself and private. Yeah, you have to. I don't really post on Instagram anymore and I'll do podcast episodes, but I won't talk a lot about my personal personal stuff as humans we owe that to ourselves and it's mm. not to be like mysterious it's for sanity for sure you know i'm stretched yeah. so thin like people know where i'm gonna be like on a certain day you know what i mean like uh they know like when my show comes out and it's like they know what i'm doing like up until that week and it's like I feel like a slut man <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean i'm just like you know, yeah it's, uh, you know, I'm selling tickets or like doing this. It's like, damn, dude, I'm out here shaking this ass. You know, it's true though. And it's worse when you're doing it for free and you're like, oh, I'm giving myself away. I'm not even charging for blowjobs. This yeah, is tough dude. stuff. And no wonder everyone's coming to see me. Exactly. You know, I it's think like you one need of the biggest shaking that ass. You need a break from shaking that ass. No, you do. You do. And, and I think one of the biggest curses and the worst thing you could be is famous. Like, I actually feel so bad for people where everybody knows them. You want to just go get a coffee and you know everyone's going to recognize you. You want to go buy a pair of loafers at the mall and people are just like, yeah, isn't that? Yeah. Like, that would be so bad, man. Like Drake in Toronto, like, can he like move around? Like, he, he can't he, go anywhere. He needs like 10 of his boys and, you know, he needs to be in a limo or whatever, some bulletproof thing. Like, imagine that. I just want to go get a pack of gum from the convene. All right, we got to call Jimmy, Joey, Jason, Carla, and we'll get in the car. And he's got to pay him. Well, exactly, right? It would be such a curse. Like, talk about mental illness and fame. It's no wonder they all, they all go a little nuts. It's yeah. no wonder. Makes perfect sense. You mix any of that with like a, some, any kind of ego or narcissism, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. It's over. It's, it's absolutely old. over. You know, when I think about things, when I see some certain tragedies on the news or, or you know, rising rates of anxiety and, and I don't know, it seems to just make sense to me with when you look at the world and what we value and how 
you know, the, the removal of people from the church, maybe not the church you, you went to of, of judgment and this, but you know, people worshiping themselves more than anything and internalizing everything and, and looking at themselves so much and not being of service to others because the focus is all on us and our posts and our followers and our friend group and our careers and our fine, like it's overwhelming to think of yourself all the time. Yeah. And then especially when you have to think of the stuff that isn't so great about you. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, if we were all perfect people we wouldn't be talking to each other right now, everybody would have it figured out. There's a lot of shit in my life. I do wrong. And those are the things that, you become impulsive to do other things to run away from dude. But you have that comedy as your ultimate, ultimate vessel for all the shitty things in your life. Oh yeah. Which is such an art, man. Like I'm so amazed that you have that. I have music. I saw you did it. You did it recently. I tried. It was, I bombed a bit. I had a few good jokes. That's the best part. (laughs) You gotta understand if you could survive bombing in a comedy club, you could survive anything. How has that helped anxiety? Has it helped at all? And so here's the weird thing I feel every time I go on stage that I'm almost, you know, Bubble Boy from Seinfeld? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) I feel as if I'm in a bubble. Oh, yeah. This is the transaction, right? I want the attention. You know what I mean? I want the attention. You guys wanna laugh. Let's have a trade-off, right? Right. You know, you guys pay. You guys come see. I give you the best show possible. I live. I leave my fucking soul out there when I do my shows. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm always worried that someone would leave a show and be like, I didn't have a good time. You know, we're going to have a good time. Nice. I feel almost somewhat protected by the lights and the stage because I feel like I'm in my element and, like, that's what I was, like, put on this planet to do. Oh, you know, so like, so I feel safe there where I don't feel safe is when I have to go outside and get a cab or an Uber, you know, and it's not, I'm not afraid like, yo, someone's going to like try to rob me. I'm just like, if the wind feels a certain way on my skin, I get anxious, mm. you know? So like in those moments, like I actually get to kind of forget about my life while living my life at the same time. Yes, man. You know, that's why I love it so much because, you know, I was always afraid to do it because I had, I thought I had stage fright. I didn't have stage fright. I just didn't have confidence. Right. Right. In myself. I didn't have confidence in myself, man. There is nothing more empowering in the world than a person with confidence. Mm. It's the most empowering thing that you could have. Even if like I have jokes where like I wrote them and I was like, this is going to be so funny and like nobody would laugh. I'm like, that's kind of funny to me. Right, right. You kind of have to take it in stride and be like, you know, I can't wait to get out there again. I feel confidence is your willingness to try. Yes. It's not about the result. Oh, he was really confident because he had a great show. No, because he got up there in the first place and gave it a shot. And that's with anything. You're confident even if you felt so anxious you're confident leaving the place and getting in the cab. Like that's pure confidence to me. Yeah, man. People are so afraid to fail. Yeah. Uh, in life. And I'm one of those people. I was like that in school. I was like that even with my career. You know, I, I didn't want people to think I was dumb. So I didn't try. So if I didn't try, uh, right. well, they can't see like if I got a 70. 
Right. Like I got it willingly. Like I don't like uh you know I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. Like I'm this guy. I'm cool. Like fuck school. I in inside I was a scared little boy that didn't want my friends to think I was stupid. You know because I thought I was dumb. The real failure is not trying. So if somebody goes out there and pursues their dream and they're out there every week like busting their ass and then they have a uh two jobs so they could have that uh that liberty to go and and pursue their dream and bust their ass at both of those two jobs so they could bust their ass at their other job i don't care what you do how much money you make what people don't come see you what people do come see you that's not a failure a failure is somebody that goes and works a job that they don't want to do they don't want to pursue the things because they're afraid yeah that's the failure that not trying is the failure. And that's not about just work. That's about being a better uh, partner, being a better brother, sister, you know, a, a better friend. You know, people a lot of times they're like, you know, like, oh, I don't have any friends right now. It's like, how much work have you also put into being a good friend? Mm. How much work have you put into being a better father, being a better listener, being more compassionate? You know, if you're not trying, you're failing. That's it. I like that's that. It. I love that. If you're sick, try to get better. Like we were talking about, like, cause you said, um, you know, uh, you know, people uh, who have cancer, they also suffer with depression, you know, and like people will kill themselves because of their diagnosis and stuff. It's, we always just have to try and get better. And it's not always the easiest thing to do because you have to reflect on yourself and people hate to do that shit. You know, I don't want to think about the shit I suck at. Right. Right. Who the fuck wants to do that? Yeah. Yeah, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to realize like, yeah, like I was a pretty shitty person in this exchange. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, right. I have to be willing to fix that and uh, take myself out there. And that's why comedy is so important for me is because it's not so much judging the world as much as I judge myself and my material mm-hmm. I'm here to share my insecurities with the world because it's almost therapeutic for me to be like, listen, like, uh, like if a guy hits on my, my fiance, I'm jealous, you know, I'm a jealous dude. So like, you know, like I'm a sensitive guy. So like, I'm going to come out there with those, uh, you know, my sensitive, uh, you know, demeanor, but that's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's why my fans and like people that fuck with me so heavy is because I'm like that. Because it's you, you're not trying to be Kevin Hart up there. No, and, and, and I tell people all the time, it's like I got into entertainment because other people saw what I was capable of. I always was my worst enemy. All my friends are like, you should do stand up. When I was 15, they were telling me, you should do stand up. You should do this. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing this? Always found an excuse not to do it. Then it came down to the time where I thought, like, dude, I'm going to be 80 years old. God willing, I make it there. And I'm going to be laying up somewhere being like, dude, why didn't I do that? There's nothing worse than going to like in my mind, just going to the grave with regrets of things that were obtainable. That's one of the biggest thing, because you didn't try at the end of the day. You didn't try. That's that's it. And that's why I, I respect people that go and play these clubs that go play music for free, do all this stuff, you know, and, and, and they love it. And when they're gone, they're going to love the fact that they did that. The hustle and the grind of people is so admirable, especially when 
chasing chasing their dreams, man. It's 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 a beautiful thing to watch. I'm so with you on that. I've cried at the gym. Like I've teared up because I saw this guy. It was it was last week before Christmas. And he's he's in a wheelchair there, like skinniest guy you'll ever see. And he's doing tricep pull down in the wheelchair. I'm just like, that is so awesome. Yeah, man. Just fucking kicking life's ass. Right? I love seeing that. I love seeing people just go and try and at least they did it. That you're right. That's so badass. Where they can't take it from you. It should be like, yo, like I did that and I tried my best to do it. And no one can ever take that from That's me. it. That's it. Ever, ever. And you want to know what, you know, usually, you know, ends up happening? People take things from themselves. We're all our own worst enemies. We create alternative realities for ourselves. We create alternative outlooks for ourselves. You got to just do what you got to do to be happy. Don't give a fuck about who it upsets, who it makes feel a certain way about you. I'm a big fan of the the big acquaintance circle, small unit circle. Mm, yeah. Oh, yes. You know, I'll cast a wide net. I'll dap up everybody. I got love for everybody, but I got like a core five Yeah, that I'm rocking with. I don't have the mental capacity for anything else. No, I don't think you should. No, because if you're not helping me get to where I need to be and vice versa, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have people who I call those fringe friends, you know, in golf, you have the green and then the fringe. Yes, of course. Who's on your green? And then there's so many more people on the fringe. And then there's so many people in the rough that you'll speak to once every 10 years. But who's on the green with you, like making it happen, right? And it doesn't mean like I love you any less. You know, I I love you. Like, I bro, like, bro, I love you. You know what I mean? Like, anytime I, yeah, how's your mom? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, and I genuinely care, but if it's not helping me in my day-to-day life, I'm not going to talk to you that much. That's it. Of course. That's, that's only, that's healthy boundaries, but I also find it amazing, man. And I know other people like this, but just me and you, for example, how two guys with anxiety disorders have decided to speak in front of groups of people and do the thing that most quote unquote, normal people fear the most is public speaking, right? Like for you, like doing motivational speaking, it's like, we need to come up with a new word for motivational speaker. Yeah. It's not motivational at all. It's more of like, listen, I'm going to tell you, it's more storytelling to me. Like, like, uh, like even like throw it back. Like, cause sometimes you hear like motivational speaker and you think like the 3am guy that like, is like sitting with like, like, like four dime pieces. Exactly. He's like five foot two. You know what I mean? And it's just like, come on, dude. And he's like, uh, he's like, you want all this? Like, come to see my thing. Yeah, it's too cringe. I can't, I cringe myself out if you're like, here's Scott, he's a motivational speaker when they announce me. No, 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 no. Yeah. Because what do they expect? They expect me to go do a backflip now and be like, you can do it. Yeah. Oh. And then also when you hear motivational speaker, it's like people go to those things, not yours. I'm saying like the shit you see at 3 a.m. and they think their life is going to be fixed in a day. Right. It's so far from it. You know what I mean? Like it's in, and for you, how do you kind of like, uh, like straddle the boundary between like sharing too much of your life with your motivational speaking, but also like getting your message across the way you wanted to, because authenticity and what we do is the biggest thing. I'll share certain points of my story for sure. But I really feel like my job, especially 
after COVID now is to first of all make people feel less bad about themselves. That's where I'm at. Like people judge themselves and put themselves down so much because they've set this bar so high for their life at age 12, at age 18. That's why kids are anxious now because it's it's becoming earlier and earlier and earlier. Right. Like telling these kids they got to worry about this shit. Let the goddamn kid be 12. It's hard to be 12 when you when you're on your phone and you can see 20 years ahead, 10 years ahead all the yeah, time. Man. Then you, right? you're, 12, you're 12 years old and you're one scroll away from like big set of tits. That's you know what, I mean? <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I, I'm going to want to be 18 too. Right? Exactly. When I, when I was 12, I wanted to be 18. Right. As soon as I turned 18, I wanted to be 21. Yeah. Then I turned 21 and I wanted to be fucking 12 again. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man. See, that's the whole thing of, of people not being able to be where they are. It's all like that's my mindfulness practicing, uh, practitionerness, whatever you call it. I'm an expert by no means, but my practice is practicing presence. Like there's parts of me that do wish it was childhood and I could wake up and play Tony Hawk one on N64, oh, baby. Yes. Right. I, I, I still play it. They, 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 yeah, same, same. But like there's, and then there's parts of me, parts of me that, that really, you know, want to avoid, but to sit with ourselves and to be compassionate to that wishful thinking and to notice that from a distance, that's what kids really need help with is, and adults, this stop identifying with specific voices and narratives and just to create a little bit of space from it. Because when we're so attached to it, we are the anxiety, we are the fear. And this is all easier said than done. It's like sniffing lavender. Oh, just meditate. Yeah. So the problem here, like meditating is easy. Meditating is so fucking hard to learn. It's so meditate. It's a practice. It's take. I started meditating in two thousand and eight. Yeah. And I still suck at it. It's great, right? Like I love it. So kids are are having a lot of trouble, and adults being okay with who they are and where they are. Yes. Right. So so what happens? So in my talks, I speak about reality. Like I try to get kids back on the ground and adults back on the ground. And when we dive into self-help and things on the internet where people try to help other people, like you've seen these spiritual gurus where I'm like, how are you helping anyone? You're so far off the ground that I can't even relate, man. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to go to work. I have three kids. What are you talking about? ego and this and this and floating with your spirit guides and souls where I got shit to do in this life. Cause I don't want it. I want it. I have fucking shit. I have to worry about though. That's right. Exactly. So I want to be someone. And when I do these presentations, I just want to do my best to relate to people and see them where they are, where they're at and deal with things that are happening in reality and not give them something to attain. That's so far out. Like you know, you can be calm all the time. You just need to do step three to nine every day. You know, you can actually calm your anxiety by these three simple steps. Did you know that? Like, this is such ass that we see online with clickbait and TikToks made it worse. Activate your uh, vagus nerve with these easy tricks. And someone with an anxiety disorder is going, it's, it's not working. It should work, but it's not working. And then increases the narrative. Something is really wrong with me then. And I'm broken and I'm useless and nothing seems to help. 
And we just get into this cycle of shame. And that's where the stigma can come from. It's this constant comparison that we're broken and there's nothing out there that will fix us and we need to be fixed, right? And that's, that's my topics, man. It's like, you're not perfect the way you are. You're totally imperfect. But let's talk about how you really talk to yourself and how you see yourself in the world. And what, what are we all really afraid of? And most kids, they're really, and adults, they're afraid of being alone and not belonging and having some sort of experience where they won't be able to handle it. Yeah, of course. I want to just stay on what you just said, like being able to handle it. It's almost like when you see a friend or, or, or a child that's sick. And like, you know, like as a parent, it's like, you know, you see your child, you, you do anything in the world just to switch places with them. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that. It's like, I'm alive right now because I can handle it. And I proved to myself that I can handle it. But I want to help the people that can't handle it get to where the point where they can say, I can handle it. Mm, nice. And that's like why we started this show. I and mean, like, so like for me, and for the listener, if I come to see you do your thing, what's like? The, what's the environment like? What's the atmosphere like? Is it uh like uh like crowd work? Like I have to speak in like comedy terms. Is it crowd work? Is it crowd part uh, like participation? Is it changing depending on like you know what kind of seminar it is? Like I'm very interested. Yeah, it all it always changes. It always changes. Like if I'm speaking to a a company like a fortune 500, whatever, it's all these people dealing with high stress jobs. And how do we decrease stress like really fast? And I show them a few uh, meditation techniques. One awesome one for anxiety is, and it's not to show quote unquote tricks, but if you are in an anxious state, try blinking slower, Blinking. blink slowly and just do that about 10 times. And that it's a good signal to your body that you're almost getting a little dreamy and sleepy. Oh, that's and it. That is nice. Blinking. Yeah, it feels nice and can calm you down just even if it's by 5%. Then you feel like, ooh, something happened and that can take you kind of the rest of the way a little bit. Yeah. So it's like tricks like that, which I'll show adults and even kids and play some games with kids. And, you know, I try to explain emotional health to them through memes and videos, which they love. Right, right. right. Speak their language. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, you know, I'm not putting on a circus on stage. We still get into some real stuff, right? but as far as people's phones, like I was doing a talk to grade nines a few weeks back and I'm just like, yo, it's not necessarily what you even do on your phone. It's when you do something on your phone, what are you avoiding when you decide, Oh, I'm taking a shit. I'm going to go on my phone. Oh, I'm eating breakfast. I'm going to go on my phone. What are you really avoiding? And everyone raised their hand. I'm like, yo, what do you, and they're just like life. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well let's keep sharing. Let's like talk about that. What's scary about life that we don't want to like engage eating our Cheerios and we want to watch TikTok or message friends instead. So what would happen if we just together just embraced and went fully into life right now? And they're like, oh, what does that mean? And then we just sat in silence in the gym, like 500 kids. And I'm like, was that so bad? And I kind of got them into a little bit of a chill state and let's just chill out. You know, everything's okay. And I think that's what people need, man. It's like, everything is okay. Like, it's going to be okay. 
Yeah. You might be struggling right now, but it's okay. You know, it'll be all right. It'll really be all right. Don't beat yourself up and be. be That's the hardest part. Yeah, it is. It is. That's the hardest because I feel like we're just like weirdly like programmed to like hate ourselves for some reason. Like I, I have two dogs and sometimes I look at them. It's like, dude, I wish I could just trade places with you for. Oh, a the best. I want a human sized dog bed. That's what I want. Oh, curl up in that corner. It's like yeah. some life, you know, like my dog the other day, like, like, uh, he exhaled like sadly. And I was like, dude, what the fuck do you have to worry about? <laughs> Three walks a day food. You sleep in the bed like a human being. It's like, dude, get over yourself. I you know? know. I know. I'm so happy that humans are so advanced, but sometimes I wish we weren't. I wish I was dumb sometimes, but really dumb where I didn't know I was dumb. Yeah, me too. When I see like people that have like no self-awareness, I'm almost like jealous of them. For sure. I wonder, and I texted literally my sister this morning. I'm like, how do, how do people even live? I saw this guy, he's, you know, in shorts and it's like minus 10 and he's walking his dog and he has like two kids. I'm like, how? And you want to know something? That dude's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm pissed at him for being happy. I know. I, 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 sometimes I look at people just so free and I'm like, oh, I want that. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, I'm like, I want that for me. I want yeah. that. Here's the truth, man. Some people's lives are just straight up harder than others. Like yes, that's a, obviously a fact, yeah. right? And some people will live the classic life on TV. Like I know people I went to high school with. You marry your high school sweetheart, you get a dog, and then you have kids, and then you have two jobs, and then you raise the kids, and then you retire, then you get a place in Florida, and then you die. Yeah. And and some people have that. Doesn't sound terrible. I think it sounds terrible. All right. All right. So let's talk about it. So this is something that I've always, uh, this is a big thing of mine when I speak to people. Mm -hmm. Other people's idea of success in life and comfortability are different. Totally. So for me, this is what I say, like in terms of, this is financial freedom for me. I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to be a multimillionaire. And people hear me say this and they're like, oh, that's like kind of crazy. And I said, but is it though? You want to know what comfort is for me? Not having to worry about my rent, mm -hmm. taking my, my fiance out to dinner and not having to worry about the check. Oh, you, we want to go on a little trip. We can go on a little trip to, to do this. That's comfort to me. Oh, yeah. To me, like that's a point where I'm successful to me. Because I stopped equating my success to other people relatively recently, about two, two, three years ago. Yeah, I stopped yeah. really giving a fuck about like what equates success to this person. Because it's like when you go to the gym, like you brought up that guy that went to the gym, he was in a wheelchair. You think he's going there trying to bench 500 pounds and compete with the dudes that are benching all this weight? Mm -hmm. like, he wants to comfortably live his life. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, and, 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 and improve his life whether it's 1% each day or 2% or, you know, he does 2%, but then takes 1% back. Well, you know, that's right, how life right. is percentage games, right? My idea of success is being comfortable with my life, my life decisions, my family, where I'm living and not having to worry about the check at dinner and having a little bit of financial freedom. So that's like, I used to knock people that would be like, Yo, like I want to have like that, like yo. I'm like yo, good for you if it, that's what you're really happy doing. Exactly, yeah, exactly. If you're yeah. really happy doing it, allowing yourself to get into a monotonous lifestyle 
that's on you. Right. You know, we have to take some responsibility for where our lives end up. Oh my God. Of course. Of and, course. And listen, I've been to therapy. I have no problem blaming other people for my problems. I have no problem doing it. It's one of my oh, favorite so things. Easy. So one easy. Of my favorite things. Yeah. It's yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> things to do is to blame other people for my problems. Yeah. But, you know, we have to take accountability for the choices that we make in life and the severity of the choices that we make in life. What was going to be your argument? Well, no, I'm totally with you there. The The people that I've coached in the past, you know, I've everyone from teenagers, kids and, and people who are married and people who just got divorced. I put on classical radio and there's this quote and I just turned it on and they said, you know, if you know every next step in your path, that means it's not your path. You're following somebody else, right? Your path can only be made step by step. So the people that have coached are like, oh my God, I'm 50 and I did that thing that I thought I should do. Like I got the house, I had the kids, I married the husband and I'm miserable. So if people authentically know that that's what they want, of course, yeah. So it's about defining, yeah, what you value and what your experiences are. And just to say that also, when you see people with a dream life like that, yeah, then we retired in Florida, we get to swim all day. That is an anomaly. Oh, yeah. In the US, who's got that going on? So, right? I think your perspective is very fresh. And I think that's what a lot of people want. It's just like, I just want to live a good life, be healthy as I can, not worry about where rent's going to come from and paying paycheck to paycheck for my utilities. Like, so what we see on TV, movies, we see this lifestyle that's just unattainable. And I think it gets people down. And I'm tired of pretending, man. Like, I don't even like TV anymore. I watch Jeopardy and that's it now. Yeah. And, and I'm not even 60. And I love Jeopardy. I'm tired of seeing pretend shit. I'm done with it. I'm done. No, my thing is like, if it's not like a murder mystery and like, I feel horrible that people had to get murdered for my entertainment. But like, you know, like if it's not like some shit, like where I'm trying to crack the case, like I, I, I can't, I can't even like watch it anymore. You know? So like, I think you brought up a great point. It's, this is where people it's, it becomes fear. You're afraid to tell your partner that you want to pursue a dream because they might leave you. Right. Uh, you're afraid to do this because you got kids and you don't want to, you know, sacrifice their livelihood and their upbringing. Mm -hmm. I'm like this, man. I'm like this. I didn't ask to be here, but I'm here now. So I'm not going to be one of those people who's like, why am I even here? Like, you know, like this. I'm just going to have fun in my life because I tell people all the time. Right. If you don't got the money and you pretend that you got the money, Oof. you're never going to have the money. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've had to learn that the hard way. I've tried to keep it with the Joneses a lot of times in my life. You know what I mean? And it's like, and now I'm like, yo, I can't go out this week. And they're like, oh, what's good? Now I got to make up a lie because I ain't got as much money as y'all. And you were living in New York City. You were yeah. living it up, even I if can't. you were in a closet. Yeah. I think everybody at some point in their life, you have to have a humbling moment with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And with you and only with you. Mm -hmm. And then what you realize when you come out on the other side, nobody cares. Bingo. You thought and, you were the main character in this other person's life. They didn't yeah. give a shit. Nobody gives a shit, bro. We're, 
We're all NPCs to people, man. That, I've seen videos of that. Yeah, dude. We're all NPCs, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, control your narrative, write your own stories. You know yeah. what I mean? And just life's about experiences, man. If you really think about it in the grand scheme of shit, it's like, I'm going to be so dead one day. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be so dead. For so long. For so long. I'm going to be dead longer than I was alive. <laughs> As a Louis C.K. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like, you know, like I'm going to be dead and then I'm just going to be dead forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to be worm food, you know? Yeah. And like for me, I'm just like, if I'm living my life right now and I can afford to go to like Turks and Caicos, I'm going to Turks and Caicos. You want to know why? Because I might not be able to afford it later on in life when I have mm. children and when I have all these other responsibilities that I forced on upon thyself. Right, you know, right. I think I want to have kids so bad, but I think having kids is one of the most narcissistic things in the world. Tech, if you think about it, yeah, technically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, in a way, it is. It's like you know, I think my off, like my genetic pool, is so important that it needs to continue. <laughs> and then you, you see, know? but the people who have kids, I'm talking as a man, right, a woman, right. That's an entire experience, you know, like. There, that's a like a biological experience that I will never understand, right? And, you know, and it's like I just get to show up. You know what I mean? Like I get to flop around on top of you, and now you're pregnant for nine months. I could still drink and do this and watch football and eat fucking chicken wings and shit. And you know, and then you're gonna go in the labor, right? And then I'm just there in scrubs. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, but you're gonna see some stuff in those scrubs. You're gonna see things you'll never unsee. But that's another uh, beauty in life, though. That's the thing. It's like not everybody can have kids. Right, right. And and it's something that I feel that, like you said, to tie into what you said before, it ties into that. I thought I was doing the right thing and then realized that I pursued nothing in my life that I wanted to. So you literally make the best decision you can in the moment. And what else can you possibly do? Right. So when you say I shouldn't have had kids when you're 50, but in that moment, that's what you kind of pondered and that's what you decided, then stick by it then. Yeah. If that's what you like, right? Like you say no regrets. I'm going to, I already have so many regrets and I'm going to have a million more when I'm a hundred. I am for sure. But that doesn't mean I'm going to beat myself up. Like that's literally life where you're like, ah, I should have done that. Ah, but I didn't. You, there's no room to do everything that you want to do I think there's always going to be gaps where you're like, yeah, instead of going to Mexico, that Costa Rica trip would have been better. Should have done it. Shit. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be that stuff, but not to beat yourself up for it. You just followed, followed your gut a little bit. You just went for it. Embrace life, man. That's it. Because for the people out there that, that are struggling and I tell it all the time and the people that, you know, reach out to me and they're like, I listen to the show or I listen to uh, like your stand up and stuff when I was in a dark place i love that and that's like one of the main reasons why i got into this Mm. but i always tell people if that's getting you through right now and if this show is getting you through right now that's amazing but just remember that you got to do the homework and get out there and seek professional help seek Mm. professional help Mm. i went to school for 30 years 50 40 gajillion thousand years study our brains and you know it's you know, I'm only where I'm at because I went and sought professional help. Right, right. And I think a lot of people need to know that too. It's I don't have all the answers. 
you don't have all the answers, but we're just two guys that are just trying to do the best to help people along the way and enjoy life. That's it. And and you know what? Some people also get discouraged because they went to seek professional help and it sucked. Yes. And I've had that. And a lot of people have had that. I've had that. And that's that's with any profession. You know, you you go to the movies and the ticket ripper is a dick. So at any profession, you're going to find that. So don't be discouraged if you you sought professional help and it didn't work out. Um, try someone else. That was just, it was a flop. That's okay. Yeah, man. I've had tell people what to do. I've had so many therapists. I always thought that a therapist was supposed to be a woman. Most of them are. Most of them are. So I was just like, yo, like, all right. And then this was just me. Like, I don't really feel comfortable talking about like fucking with like a, a, a female therapist. It, it just didn't feel comfortable to me, you right. know? Right. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about therapy is you can like mold it and like, and, you know, like try to find that perfect fit for you. And I was like, this is great. Like uh, when you see a therapist, right? Do you prefer male or female? Female. You prefer female. See, I know, I know a lot of males that prefer females. Mm-hmm. Good thing about like uh, the good thing. I shouldn't say good thing, but the, like the good thing about like therapy is like you get to be a little prejudiced with who you see. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time you can do That's that. It's the only time. And then like. Uh, like casting directors, like casting directors just get to be openly, like blatantly racist. <laughs> That's so true. You know, they're just like, hey, what's up? We need a five, nine Spanish guy, fat and speak Spanish. <laughs> and then the Spanish guy needs to be like, oh, I'm I guess I'm fat. I guess, uh, I'll take yeah, that call. Yeah, and he's like six, four, like one hundred and ninety five pounds shredded. When they need to do casting calls for like ugly people, I always wonder, like, does the person be like, I'm ugly? Yeah, they're like, hey, what's up? We need just like a fucking gross, fucking fat, bald, white dude. Right? No, or, or it's like, hey, we need a really fat woman. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Or like Breaking Bad. They're like, they hired that guy. I forget his name, but we need someone that looks like a real meth head. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm skinny as shit. And yeah, all, skinny uh, Pete. Skinny Pete, right. Oh, I always play the drug addicts in movies. It, 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 it's wild. It's wild. Uh, but listen, your time is very important. I don't want to, I, I could talk to you all day. I know this is awesome, man. We'll do it again. Absolutely. But before we leave, who are your top five Canadians of all time? I have five. You want me to do my five? Oof. Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, Brett. And then they're like, Ooh. Oh, no. wow. Carrie, Wayne Gretzky. I'm going to put Drake in there because I love his music. Steve Nash. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Damn. I'm going to go with Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, best singer songwriter in the world. Neil yeah. Young, best singer song songwriter in the world. I always forget that Neil Young's Canadian. Oh yeah, Burton Cummings from the Guess Who, best singer songwriter in the world. You're going sports, I'm going music. Jim Carrey, let's put him on there. That was four. Who's number five? That's four, five. Uh, oh my gosh, Justin Trudeau. Hell no. <laughs> no, God no. Rodney Piper was Canadian, the wrestler. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, him? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. With, let's go with him. Yeah, go, Rodney Piper. Last question I ask everybody that comes on the show: Are you happy today? Yeah. And if I wasn't, you know, I'd be honest. No, today was a really good day, man. I'm excited to go to the gym because I haven't been able to do that for the last few years, just with the, some health issues. So being back and being able to lift a little bit of weight is the best feeling in the world. You talk about that simplicity of being comfortable 
the simplicity of just being able to play some basketball oh, yeah. without pain and being able to just do some curls. I'm on, I'm in heaven yeah. when knowing that I can do that. And then it's just one of those things that kind of just, I'm, I feel a little present today. Met two people at the Starbucks this morning, met a teacher, had a great chat with her. I love talking to strangers. I'm one of those people that like hears conversations and like if I know anything about it, I'll join the conversation. You'll pop in. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's, and people love, most people love it. Yeah. They love it. People are seeking that anyways. Most people don't go to a coffee shop just to hide in a corner. Yeah. They want to see a bit of action, right? Let's, let's bump into some people. So yeah, it was just a good day. Human interaction goes a long way for mental health as well. The big thing I talk about is loneliness and, and mental health. And a lot of the time, social connection and what that creates in your brain and physiologically in your body does more than changing your diet. Oh, yeah. Or sometimes more than exercise. Oh, my God. To know that somebody knows you and can truly like avatar, I see you feeling. Yes. That boosts billions of, of neural connections in your brain. And that's what people really need, right? When they're going through a tough time, it's like, that's why therapy is useful or having a little social circle. Oh, yeah. You got your five boys, even if you got one other person to be like, yo, I know that feeling and I, and I got you for a bit. It just lessens the weight and adds some levity to the situation. So to have that connection, it's huge. Absolutely. You know, for everyone that's listening, where can they find you on the internet? Where can they see your stuff? Where are you going to be? On Spotify, iTunes, whatever. It's the Being Human podcast. Had some awesome guests. And then uh, Danny's going to be on too. I've had some great psychiatrists, psychologists, had some great actors, some great friends on there. So have a look. YouTube, just Scott St. Marie. Got meditations on there. Some awesome guided meditations for people to chill, especially before they go to bed. If you get the, the anxious bedtime feeling. Uh, people have told me my voice can be soothing and we get some some soft music in the back, which helps people just be kind to themselves before bed, right? Let go of the day a little bit. Yeah. So some resources for them and it's all free. I tell you, man, work smarter, not harder. Life's, life's complicated enough, you know? Honestly, the, if, if being hard on ourselves worked, it would have worked by now. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and we'll end it with that. Listen, guys, this has been Off the Cuff. Thank you so much, Scott, for coming on the show, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!